Okay, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, and it's on page 1068 in the Pew Bibles. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Uh, Throughout history there have been some names that perhaps should have been more well known than they have been. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, The Apollo 11 crew, these are the guys who landed on the moon. Now, everyone knows the name of the first man to land on the moon. His name was Neil Armstrong. And everyone knows the name of the second man to set foot on the moon. That was Buzz Aldrin. Uh, But there was a third member of the crew, and his name's a little less well known. Um, Hand up if you know the name of the third member of the crew. We've got two people. Wow, two of us who know the name. Three of us counting me, because I knew the name. Uh, uh, the third member of the crew was a man by the name of Michael Collins. 
He actually stayed up in the lunar module that was circling the moon, waiting for Buzz Aldrin and for uh, Neil Armstrong to come back up to uh, take them back to Earth. Now, the whole mission wouldn't have succeeded unless Michael Collins had been there in that module. Michael Collins seems to be the neglected member of the Apollo 11 crew, but he was just as much a part of the crew as the other two members. All three of them had to work together to make this happen. Well, today we're looking at what the Bible has to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think some people might want to suggest that the Holy Spirit is kind of the neglected member of the Trinity. Uh, We talk a lot about what it is that God has done. We talk about what it is that Jesus has done. Uh, But the focus doesn't seem to be on the work of the Holy Spirit that often. Now, as we saw when we looked at the idea of the Trinity, God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. All three are equally God. So why is it that the focus tends to be more on Jesus and on God the Father than it is on the work of the Holy Spirit? There are more than 80 direct references to the Holy Spirit in the pages of the Old Testament. The very first reference to the work of the Holy Spirit comes up in the very opening words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And as we keep reading through the Old Testament, we begin to build a a clearer picture of who the Holy Spirit is how it is that the Holy Spirit is at work. This is God's Spirit, and it's legitimate to talk about this Spirit being God. There's a sense in which this is part of God, but there's another sense in which this is separate from God, the Father. In the pages of the Old Testament, God gives his Spirit to a number of people. God's Spirit is given to equip people, to enable them to do the things that God wants them to do. So we see God's Spirit being given to kings and to prophets. God gave his Spirit to Moses and God gave his Spirit to the 70 elders who were to help Moses lead the people of Israel when they came out of their captivity in Egypt. God's Spirit is given to craftsmen when they're building the tabernacle. It talks about the fact that these people receive God's Spirit. Stone cutters and metal workers and carpenters are given God's Spirit to enable them to do their job. God's Spirit is given to the judges who lead the nation of Israel when they move into the land. God's Spirit is given to to people in positions of leadership and responsibility. But what seems to be clear from the pages of the Old Testament is that God's Spirit is not given to everyone. It's only given to select people and for particular purposes. And as we move on, getting towards the end of the pages of the Old Testament, God starts making these promises about the new covenant that he's going to bring in and what that new covenant will be like. And one of the defining differences between the Old Covenant, the way that things were done in the Old Testament, and the New Covenant that God promises to bring in, is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what God says through the prophet Joel. Afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is a pretty radical thing that we're talking about here. I don't think it's specifically prophecy or dreams or visions that Joel's got in mind here. What he's saying is that in the past, it was only select people who were able to do that, uh, give prophecies or receive these visions. But now, it'll be everyone, your sons and your daughters, old men, young men, men and women, even slaves is what it says in the passage. It, it says servants in this translation, but the word is slaves. Even the lowest people in your society will receive the spirit. Again, it's not particularly about prophecy that uh, that Joel is concerned. It's saying that everyone will receive the Spirit. I had a friend who uh, who did uh, an engineering degree at, at university and, and went to work for what was then the Department of Main Roads. And when he started with the Department of Main Roads, he was in their main head office. And this is all kind of pre-computers. So they had a typing pool. Most people are probably pretty familiar with a typing pool. Uh, They had a group of people who sat in a room with typewriters. You wrote out your things by hand and you went down and gave it to someone in the typing pool and they would type it out for you. Now, the typing pool ended up finishing, not because there was no one to type. It was because everybody typed for themselves. Everybody typed their own documents because everyone had their own computer and printer at their desk. And that's what Joel's saying here. There was a select group of people who prophesied before, but now everyone will be doing it because everyone will receive God's Spirit. See, under the new covenant, God's Spirit will be given to every single person. That's what God promises through Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The coming of the Holy Spirit is going to be the defining difference between the way that God did things in the Old Testament and the way that he does things in the New Testament. So if God's spirit is given to all believers, then how does that influence our lives? What's that going to look like? Well, if you want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, there's really one place in the Bible that you need to go. Uh, John chapters 13 through to 17. It's probably the only place where anyone sets out to explain who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit will be at work in our lives. Uh, This section is, is, we call it the upper room discourse. It's when Jesus spent the last night with his disciples before going to the cross. And one of the topics that keeps coming up in his discussion with his disciples is how the Holy Spirit will be at work in their lives. Jesus is the one who's ushered in that new covenant and he wants to talk to his disciples about how the Spirit will be at work in them. Now, as I said, the defining difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that God promises that he will indwell by the Spirit all believers. And it's the thing that Jesus wants to stress in this passage. Those who trust in Jesus will have God's spirit in them. 
He's saying this because at this particular point, he wants to reassure his disciples. They're getting very anxious about the fact that Jesus is talking about leaving and he wants to tell them, it's okay, you will receive the Spirit. This is what he says in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Holy Spirit gets described there as being a counsellor. It's almost a, a legal terminology that's being used there. This is the person that you would take into court with you, the someone who understands the workings of the legal system. But another way of describing it is the comforter um, or the advocate. It, it quite literally means the person who's been called alongside of you to help you. God is giving us his spirit. He's giving us his spirit to reassure us and to comfort us and to advocate for us. To be that counsellor, to be that deposit, that guarantee that we are God's people, that we can look forward to eternity with him. This is one of those places in, in John chapter 14 where the idea of the Trinity gets kind of most clearly expressed. But even then, it's not all that easy to understand. Uh, look at a few passages, a few verses here. This is verse 16, verse 18, and verse 23 from uh, John chapter 14. Uh, look at what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. But then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then further down in verse 23, says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now on the surface of it, that looks like three contradictory things, doesn't it? Or at least three different things. But Jesus is just saying one thing, that the Holy Spirit will be indwelling these people. That's who the comforter is. That's how it is that Jesus is with us. That's how it is that God the Father and God the Son make their home with us. God indwells those who trust in his son Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can quite literally talk about God being with us. We can talk about Jesus being with us. We can talk about the Spirit being with us because all three of those things are the same. And all three of those things are true. So the Spirit is given to comfort us and to reassure us. But the Spirit's also given to help us live faithful and obedient lives. The prophet Ezekiel said that God's Spirit would be given to us so that we could actually follow God's decrees. And the prophet Jeremiah uh, talked about the new covenant and says much the same thing. This is what Jeremiah says. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. As opposed to writing it on stone tablets, God says he's going to put it on our minds and on our hearts. And how will he do that? Well, Ezekiel says he'll do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us see how it is that we ought to live. The Holy Spirit is going to be at work in us to help us to live faithful lives. Now, I've said before that in some ways the Holy Spirit is kind of the neglected member of the Trinity. But in some ways, 
I don't think the Holy Spirit wants to draw attention to himself. See, the main work of the Holy Spirit is not to put the spotlight on himself, but it's to put the spotlight on Jesus. This is what Jesus says. But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Spirit will teach us, show us how to live as God's people, and specifically, he'll do that by pointing to Jesus, helping us to remember who Jesus is, what Jesus is like. And then in chapter 15, he says this, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit is going to be at work in us by testifying about who Jesus is. One more passage. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. See, there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit does not want the spotlight on himself. He wants to firmly put the spotlight onto Jesus. He wants Jesus to be glorified. He wants our focus to be on what Jesus has done for us. But there's one more thing that the New Testament clearly says about how the Spirit is going to be at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit will enable us to bear witness to Jesus. This is what John, uh, this is what it says in John's Gospel. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. And then when we turn to the book of Acts, we hear Jesus say much the same thing to his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see the connection there? Spirit comes, you'll be bearing witness to Jesus. You'll be telling people about what it is that Jesus has done. It's God's marketing strategy. That's how he plans to get the message out there. You, me. If you're someone who's received the Holy Spirit, if you're someone who has that trust in Jesus, then as as Jesus said in that passage there, you must testify That's part of what God expects from us. Let me go back to the question at the beginning. If God's spirit is given to all believers, how does that influence our lives? What's it going to look like for us to have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? There's an expression that gets used quite a lot today in churches. People talk about being spirit-filled Uh, They talk about spirit-filled churches or or spirit-filled lives. Uh, You can find a lot of these sorts of things on the internet. If you are someone who has placed your trust in Jesus, then the Bible says that you have received the Spirit. God's Spirit is now at work in your life. 
as far as Jesus is concerned, living a spirit-filled life will look like this. First of all, you will be conscious of God's presence with you. We should make sure that each day we are mindful that God is with us, conscious of our relationship with him, aware that God indwells us by his spirit. We should never take that for granted. In fact, we should be humbled by that every single day. From the moment that we wake up in the morning, we should be mindful that God is with us. Jesus has promised his disciples that he will be with them always, to the very end of the age. When Jesus was there physically with his disciples, well, he could only be in one place at one time. He could only be in that room with that group of people. Those people over there, they couldn't have Jesus at the same time. But we can by the power of the Holy Spirit. God can be with every one of us at all times. But the second thing is this. Living a spirit-filled life means being an obedient follower of Jesus. I love the way Paul describes this in Galatians, talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, that's what a Spirit-filled life is going to look like. It's a great expression, isn't it? Keeping in step with the Spirit. God's Spirit is, is at work in your life to help you to be a more faithful follower of Jesus. To help you to be more godly. To help you to live a more Christ-like life. To guard against your sinful nature. So what you need to do is keep in step with the Spirit. Because that's what God is doing in your life. But the last thing about this Spirit-filled life is that you'll be living a life that wants to point other people to Jesus. God's Spirit is with us so that we can help others to come to that point of placing their trust in Jesus. God's Spirit is with us so that we can testify, so that we can bear witness. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You often hear people talk about Christianity and say, your faith is a private thing. That's not true. Doesn't God say he gives us his spirit so that we must testify? That's not a private thing. It's an extraordinarily public thing, isn't it? And that's what your faith is supposed to be. Something that's shared with others. This is God's marketing strategy. This is how he plans to get the message of Jesus out to our world. Through me and through you. It doesn't mean that you have to go and study a degree in theology. You just have to be ready to talk about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. I find it rather ironic that those churches that want to talk about being spirit-filled, they make that claim because they've got the spotlight firmly on the Holy Spirit. 
They think that because they talk about the Spirit all the time, then they must be Spirit-filled churches. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says that the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be to put the spotlight on Jesus. The Spirit will be there to help us to tell others about Jesus. So Spirit-filled churches aren't the ones that talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. Spirit-filled churches are the ones that talk about Jesus all the time. I have no doubt that we ought to seek to live a Spirit-filled life. We should be seeking to live a, a life where we are conscious of God's Spirit being with us. Seeking to live a more faithful and obedient life as we follow Jesus. And seeking to bring glory and honour to his name.